The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dale Jarrett, and yes, Parker Klingerman. Hey, they let him out of Connecticut. Yeah. Do you know you're in Charlotte, right? <laughs> I, I do. Mean, this is where, you know, the NBC Charlotte is, right? Two things. I'm glad I had a breath mint before I got in here because we're really close together, and I'm right. sorry about having Mexican food for lunch. That's okay. We keep it tight here at NBC Charlotte, but we're glad you're here. We're glad, glad you're here. here. And clearly, we still have a lot to talk about from Dover, don't we? We do this. And the amazing part is we're halfway through the regular season. I can't believe that we're halfway through the regular season, but let's check out how the playoff picture shapes up right now as we hit race 13 in 2017. On the left, teams who are in and drivers who are in by wins. On the right, drivers who are in by points right now. GJ, what jumps out at you when you look at that? Uh, over on that right column, all the drivers that we are accustomed to winning races that haven't done that to this point think that changes. You think that changes big time in the second half of the season, I would have to say. And uh, any surprises for you, Parker? Maybe on the left side. Well, yeah, you've definitely got the surprise winners. you got Ricky Stenhouse Jr., you've got Austin Dillon up there. Even Ryan Newman is a bit of a surprise, and that's what's making this season so interesting is those surprise winners and the guys, as DJ said, that haven't won. This is becoming a very interesting playoff picture. So we're halfway through the regular season. Good time to review the first 13 races of 2017. Yeah, no doubt. Pretty damn awesome. 
We're about to fire him up a day late here at Bristol. Jimmy Johnson has won for the second time at Bristol and has gone back to back here in It's been a crazy 2017. You saw the Kale Yarbrough reference for that helmet for Jimmy Johnson. Coming up later in the show, we will have a terrific feature on the connection between those two drivers. And here you go. And I think the, clearly the topic in the next couple weeks is going to quickly become Martin Truex Jr. And all those points are racking up for the playoffs. That's going to become a big topic. There's a lot of things that, that you can look at, certainly, and, and talk about that and, and how drivers are driving differently. And who would have ever thought, Parker, look at that, Joe Gibbs Racing, no wins so far in 2017, RCR with two wins in the bank. Incredible when you think about that 78 car and how good they've been and the technical alliance they have with Joe Gibbs Racing. It right. seems like this, that little polished, whatever they're doing in Furniture Row out in Denver, they're getting a little <laughs> bit more out of those things than obviously Joe Gibbs Racing is. It must be the polish. Who knew it was yeah, a polish the whole time? Yeah, All right, polish. DJ. So we, we've kind of set the, the table for how 2017 has gone so far. Mm -hmm. Biggest surprise to you? I think the biggest thing to me, you know, you could talk about a lot of different drivers maybe that haven't won or some that have won. I think the biggest thing to me, though, is the stage racing. I expected it to change the way that drivers and teams looked at and went about uh, every race, but this started with the Daytona 500. It had an impact on where drivers were, how they ended up that day, who had a chance to win, and it has carried forward through all 13 races to this point. I'm sure there are crew chiefs that have been back to their owners and said, I need a pay race. I didn't expect this to be this difficult, but it's made it so exciting to watch. You just can't go away because you don't know what's going to happen. And I was talking to a couple crew chiefs this week, and they, and they they were saying that they think this is Pocono this weekend going to be the biggest challenge. Like you're going to have to forget stage racing and focus on the end of the race or, you know, pick one. You're either going to get stage points or you're going to try and get the race win. All right, for you, Parker, biggest surprise of 2017. Well, we just mentioned a little bit ago, but that's Joe Gibbs Racing being winless so far. Just thinking about how fast they have been at times, especially that 18 car of Kyle Busch. We saw how close he came in the Coca-Cola 600. You see Denny Hamlin there who just hasn't been able to muster the speed really to go out there and contend for wins. And then you think about Matt Kenseth kind of been a little bit out of the out of the picture there. It had a mm -hmm. good run going at Dover, but still couldn't close the deal. And then, obviously, Daniel Suarez in the 19, we expected him maybe not to go out there to be challenging for wins. It's his rookie season. But for the whole team to seemingly be at a miss of being able to get in victory lane, it just it seems incomprehensible this time. And when you see what Furniture Row is doing with that 78 car, the 77 car is running well, you have to think, there's, there's just a little thing missing there, and that has to be the biggest surprise to me, just watching that powerhouse organization not able to get in the victory lane. You know, there's a lot of things been discussed, but you can't just take 
uh, championship dr caliber driver like Carl Edwards and take him out of the mix, sure. and then they lose Dave Rogers or crew chief. You take that apart. I, I know they have a lot of very talented people at Joe Gibbs Racing, but it takes a lot of that to make all of this work. So I think that they're feeling the effects of that early on, too. I expect them to get much better throughout the season. And well, just real quickly, and think about how closely they align they are with Toyota and how much Toyota yeah, puts absolutely. behind that organization yeah. for them not to be able to get in Victor Lane. It just kind of boggles the mind. There's, there's, it, it, it seemingly can be a little bit of luck, but at the same time, you have to think there's just that little thing that's just stopping them, and whatever it is, it has to be frustrating for the whole organization. And Adam Seams admitted on the show last week, the frustration starting to build in the whole organization. They certainly want to get things turned around. All right, Parker, we'll start with you. Driver with a win right now that has the best chance to make it to Miami and, and go for a championship. I'm going to my old buddy, Kyle Larson, there in the 42. <laughs> He's been awesome this season. He's awesome to watch. I love watching him go up there and run on the high line as we see him do so often. A great battle of Jimmy Johnson there at Dover. And where did he lose it? He lost that race on the late race restart. And he talked about how he needs to get better at restarts at the end of races. We saw him lose that race at Homestead last year to Jimmy Johnson, a similar scenario. I think, though, in the rest of the course of this season, by the time we get to Homestead, he will have figured out what it is that he needs to do better on these restarts. He's going to focus on them. He might even become one of the best restarters we have hmm. right now because he's going to be putting such a focus on it. Mm -hmm. That 42 car is going to Homestead, and they will be a championship contender. You know, the interesting thing, he's currently scheduled to be in the Xfinity Series race at, at Miami. I'm not sure if NASCAR is going to allow that if he's in that <laughs> championship for DJ, who's your pick in that category? You know, there are a lot of drivers and teams that are on a mission, but there's one man that's on a mission like nobody else. And that is Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he's going to end up there racing for that eighth championship. And I think there's a lot of things that motivate Jimmy. Winning motivates him just to, to keep passing uh, these uh, drivers, these Hall of Fame drivers that he is uh, doing. I, but I think the next motivation is, is that he realizes that every year that goes by and he doesn't get that eighth championship, it just becomes increasingly more difficult. The best time for him to get that is to go right now and get it. Now, that's easy to sit here and say uh, it's going to be very difficult to do, but I think that any time that they kind of not that their back is against the wall here, sure. but it's going to become more difficult as the years go by. So, this is the best time for him to go get it. Jimmy Johnson will be a part of that championship four. Especially if he keeps having restarts like he did. <laughs> so last year, and he had it to over. Exactly. Yeah. He keeps nailing those with ice in his veins. There's no yeah. doubt he could be running for eight. That's a great point that the longer it goes and they don't do it, the bigger that topic is going to yeah. grow. Uh, all right. Winless driver that really should feel best about themselves right now, DJ. What do you think? Well, I I'm not sure that he would agree that he feels that good, but I think that, that Kyle Busch certainly has to say, look, I've been in position to win some races so far. Even though our organization is struggling somewhat, he has put himself there a number of times. He has been, Farker, you just uh, alluded to this, that he is the one driver of that organization that has run up in the top five that could say, we were in position to win a few of these races. Now, I know he's not feeling too good because of things that keep happening, but he's the person that I look at that's going to get that victory, probably be the first one out of that uh, Joe Gibbs Racing organization that gets a win. Look at that list of drivers that have not won in 2017. Parker, what do you think? Well, i got to disagree with DJ here because my guy's over there on the far left of the screen in third in the standings. He has a season-best finish of third. He came so close to winning and not being in this column at Atlanta earlier this year. That is Kevin Harvick in that four team, led by Rodney Childers. I just think this team has been a little bit under the radar, but they seemingly got a little bit better speed in the last couple weeks. He had a good running going at Dover. I just think that this team right here is poised to go and get that win, and if they do and they start to figure out these Fords, they're going to start to get on the, the right track here because I just I know how good this race team is. We've seen them for so many years be so successful, and I, I know the Ford has kind of thrown them for a little bit of a loop, the Stuart Haas Racing Organization, but that Ford team, when they get in victory lane, is going to turn it up. Okay, I'm not going to disagree with your reasoning right. there, but I'm going <laughs> to pose this question to you. So in the last couple of years, when Harvick was winning, but he was losing some races too or finishing second all of those mm -hmm. times, we were like giving him a pass because, oh, okay, everything's okay. He hasn't finished better than third this year, and we're giving him another pass. <laughs> That's true. You know, but many times those were because of pit crew stuff. So I think pure performance, this for, and because they switched manufacturers. Yes, that's that's the difference here. I think in those past years, they had such great speed when they were with Chevy. And now they've lost a little bit of that, but mm -hmm. I'm starting to see the signs. It's coming back. I'm starting to see them figuring it out. I think the Stuart Haas Racing Organization, yep. led by that four car, is going to have a bit of a turnaround. Now. I agree. I he's love DJ coming back at you, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> by the way, he's going to get it. Maybe so, this weekend. So let me just ask you real quick, as a, as a driver, when we pose this question, what makes you feel good? 
good about yourself? Is it simply you, you just base it off speed, DJ, and what you've seen and the performance you see on the racetrack and not mm-hmm. necessarily the results? Yeah, the, not the results. You have to put that aside. Who's been in that position? And in my case with Kyle Busch, he's put himself there and will continue to do that. All right. Speaking of winless driver, let's uh, let's look at today's poll question. You guys need to get your crystal ball out. So, of the guys who have not won so far in 2017, how many will get a win in the second half of the season? Will it be three or more, or four or more rather, or three or fewer? What do you guys think? I'm leaning to four or more. Really? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think we've got a lot of winning. Yeah, we've got Daytona and two road courses and some drivers that do very well at other racetracks that haven't won yet. Make sure you check us out, NASCAR, on NBC on our Twitter page, also NBCSports.com slash vote, NASCAR vote. And there you see already 51%. Guys are agreeing with you guys. They're going going your way. All right, Fran's got treated to a terrific racing weekend at Dover full of big hits, big names battling, and an overtime finish. We scan the radios next for the best sights and sounds from the Monster Mile. Breaking news today from the Hendrick Motorsports camp, Doug Ducart will step down from his role of executive vice president and general manager at the end of this month. Moving forward, Ducart's duties will be shared by a number of people, including team president Marshall Carlson. There are no plans to fill the GM position currently. Hey, I'm Kevin Novak, front change of the 48 car. We had an awesome job today on pit road. The uh, whole crew did a great job. Now the checkered flag is coming out. It is all over. And Jimmy Johnson, for the 11th time in his career, has picked up the win here at Dover. Light him up, boys. Woohoo! Preparation and opportunity beat. Good job, everybody. Proud of all of you. Great pit stop today, guys. Thank you. Congratulations! Woo! Jimmy did a great job last restart. I want to give a shout-out to the whole crew and everyone back in the shop. Boy, Kevin and the rest of the 48 crew have been on their game as of late. Over the last four races, Jimmy Johnson's over-the-wall guys have not committed one single penalty, solid on pit stops on Sunday. Certainly helped Jimmy drive his way from the very back of the field at Dover into victory lane. In the closing laps of Sunday's race, it appeared Johnson would play second fiddle to Kyle Larson. That was until a late race caution set up an overtime restart. Let's, let's listen in on how it all played out on Sunday at Dover. This is the 13th race of the year. It will mark the halfway point of the regular season. They call this place the Monster Mile for good reason. It will beat you up. Hey, guys. 400 laps. Dale, thanks for all your effort this week. Definitely I showed. Everybody just uh, be on your toes. Things happen really, really fast here. 10-4. Yes, sir. We are ready to come around and take the green flag. They approach the start-finish line, and the green flag is in the air. We're on the way.
That's one way to get it done. Use the old chrome horn. Well, we just need to remember that later. That's how he wants to race this. That's how we should race it. For some reason, all these guys think that you shouldn't race each other really hard, but I don't know. I thought we were here to race, so. Some oil leaking from Clint Boyer's Ford. Never happens when you're having a bad day, huh? Nope. Struggled my ass off 600 miles, miserable. Crying like a baby. No help. Run like Jack the Bear. Blow up. This is the battle for the race lead. Here's Truex. He'll slide through. He'll grab the lead. Now Larson jacks up Truex on the back straightaway and pushes him into the corner. He remembers what happened earlier when roles were reversed. Go try the crossover on you. It ain't gonna work. You're the man. Cheerleader 78. Yeah, was we supposed to pit there? Yeah. Should have pitted there, but we can pit next time. Sorry. I was paying attention. I was daydreaming. Yeah. Then for We'll pit next time, Bob. Have a nice open pit road for you. <laughs> Spotter must have been signing autographs. <laughs> We're getting ready to settle it here. The stages are complete. We're racing now to the checkered flag. Truex with a fender on in front. Larson's not cutting him any slack whatsoever. Oh, oh, oh. big slide for Truex. Man, how did he save that car? Exactly what Kyle Larson did not want to see. See a green white checker fish. Keep an eye on this 4080. I've been racing it real clean. I'm sure the 78 won't either, so we just get a good restart. You focus on that 42. That's all you gotta worry about. Go where you want to go on the start. Don't just give it to him here. The California kid versus the seven-time champion. 48 playing back like home fifth at your quarter. Jimmy Johnson will surge forward. He'll go to the lead. Larson slips up the racetrack. How the f they gonna let him do that every race? They let him lay back the whole car one every freaking time. It's the second time in a row. Ty Dillon gets T-boned by Eric Jones. Jamie McMurray comes in. Caution. Wreck. Big wreck. Just gonna get about eight up, ten up, twelve up. Back her down, dude. Good job, buddy. Big wreck. Big wreck. Stop. Stop. Stop up the hill. Still wrecking, just stop. My favorite spotting you've ever done so far, Lucy. Just stop, 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 just stop. I like that. Oh, thanks. So fast, overtime, we're coming back to the checker. We are coming to the checker. You won. Me. What? Are you kidding me? Is it? That's it, man. Yellow checker. Congratulations! Woo! Jimmy got it. Pat Kiel Yarbrough. I'm so sorry. Good job all day. Really good car. What a restart there, Jimbo. Thank you, boss. Every once in a while, you get one. Light him up, boys. Don't worry, son. Woohoo! Amazing. 83 career wins. Jimmy Johnson ties Kale Yarborough on the all-time list. Next, a special look at the connection between Jimmy and Kale. You know, I watched Kale... Uh, and he was one of the toughest, hardest racers that um, I ever watched race. And fearless, uh, and drove the car uh, over the edge. And Jimmy does the same thing, but Jimmy makes it look smooth. Um, I think they're, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I like Parcells' quote: "You you are what your record says you are." And uh, you know, I, I think they're, I think they're a little bit. The way I remember Kale, they're a little bit different in their approach, but their record is the same. Chalk up a little more history Sunday at Dover for Jimmy Johnson as he claimed his 83rd career win and moved into a tie with his childhood hero, Kale Yarborough, on the Cup Series all-time wins list. With more on the special connection between these two champions, here's our very own Nate Ryan. Heroes. We all have them when we were kids. 
Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. But for Jimmy Johnson, it was Kale Yarborough. Baker gets it wrong, and going to the first goes Kale Yarborough. At the line, does it. Now, they may not have grown up anywhere near each other, but El Cajon, California's Jimmy Johnson and Timminsville, South Carolina's Kale Yarborough have a connection that not only spans the pages of the NASCAR history books, but time. A long-lasting mutual respect for one another. Jimmy said, I never thought I would end up here in NASCAR as a kid racing in the dirt out in Southern California. I was a big Kale Yarborough fan. I remember going to a race in Oklahoma with my parents. We were driving across the country and we pulled up to a Hardee's. I had no idea it was a burger stand. And I, I really thought when I walked in the doors I was going to carry over to a grocery race shop. And there's a fight between Kale Yarborough and Donnie Allison. Maybe that love for Yarborough was the way Kale raced. Or the big time sponsors that he had. Or maybe it was his humble beginnings working as a tobacco farmer. Or maybe it was the stories Kale told of being struck by lightning or even wrestling alligators. But what Kale represented was a larger-than-life personality in American auto racing. In 1978, Yarborough was the first to win back-to-back-to-back titles in NASCAR's Premier Series, a proud feat that stood unmatched for three decades. Now, Jimmy, when you're making history... In 2008, at the NASCAR Awards Banquet, Johnson was surprised to learn of a special speaker. Please welcome to the stage the other three-time champion, Kale Yarbrough. I've been a big fan, and that was a, a huge, huge honor for me to uh, see him that night on stage when, it, when I got my third championship. The fun thing I remember is, is uh, on stage when he pointed out that I just tied him. I had beat his record. All records are going to be broken and tied. Tied, really, is all he's done. So, boy, you got some work to do. Looked at me, and I'll never forget that look in his eyes. I mean, he still has that competitive fire. I mean, he was very happy that I had tied him, but he didn't want me to break it. That doesn't bother me. Listen, uh, to to, to be as blessed as I was to be able to be the first one to win three consecutive championships lasted for 30-some years. If I'd have had to pick somebody to do it, uh, I couldn't pick a better person than Jimmy Johnson. Records are made to be broken. Johnson went on to win five championships in a row. I believe we did this. Unbelievable. But via the numbers, what Johnson provides is a vital link, an ambassador to the past, if you will, one that he honored on Dover weekend. Now the checkered flag is coming out. It is all over, and Jimmy Johnson, for the 11th time in his career, has picked up the win. At 46 years of age, Yarborough reached 83 Cup Series victories after starting 560 races. Johnson accomplished the feat at age 41 and in just four fewer races. What stands out the most is the respect. There is no dispute over the differences in eras, rules, and competition. For Johnson, surpassing a childhood hero is a chance to tip the cap to a true legend. I do have one artifact that we found from my friend Lauren Rainier, one of Kale's old hats. <laughs> when we look back on Johnson's career years from now, history will place him near the top of the sport. But for Johnson, what will make him smile is just the gestures, the acknowledgement of a job well done. Outstanding job, Nate Ryan. And let's look back at how Jimmy and Kale both reached 83. And when we look at the type of tracks they won on, and both drivers very good at super speedways, but look at Jimmy, a record 28 wins. Incredible for him on mile and a half. Yarbrough, more races on short tracks, so he has the advantage in that category. Neither one of them very good on road courses, though, just to combine four wins for those guys on the road courses. It was certainly fun to kind of, you know, relive how these guys are so connected and why they're so connected. But why is Jimmy so good, Dale? Let's start there. Well, we could spend the rest of the show and, and <laughs> talk the list. But first off, his talent and desire, uh, wanting to do it and and wanting to be the very best at it. And not that every driver doesn't have that to a certain level, but, but Jimmy has come in... Uh, 
and said, this is how I'm going to do it. And he's done it in the right way. You know, you, you, we don't talk about Jimmy doing wrong things on the racetrack, off the racetrack. So it's just that talent. Then he's willing to work in the gym, on his bike outside, whatever it is to keep himself in great physical condition. This is hard. You saw those pictures of Kale uh, when he got out of the cars and stuff. And, and Jimmy works hard uh, to, to be that level also. Kel worked out on his farm. That's how yeah, he right, stayed yeah. strong, you right. know. But there, there's so many similarities there. But but Jimmy Johnson is, is just a great talent and, and, a, and a good person. But he works hard at the race shop, too. He's there getting up on all the latest things that they're doing to the race cars, the changes that they're making, willing to go to the wind tunnel, whatever he needs to do. Right. So he's not just sitting at home as they're getting these cars prepared. He's doing everything that he needs to do to be the very best. What's your take on what makes him great? And work ethic, no doubt, is one of the things that I think many drivers within the sport will talk about when you talk about why Jimmy Johnson is so good. Work ethic, second to none. But when I think about him as a driver and what he specifically does in the race car, I think you'll get a lot of drivers out there agree he has an ability to drive a race car that many drivers would have a problem with, would be uncomfortable with, would, would, bet, would be able to maybe handle for a run. But he consistently drives race cars that are so loose, so on the edge all the time and is able to do it and races like this past Coca-Cola 600 that we watched this year, he was really loose throughout that entire race. Mm -hmm. He found times where he was actually losing the back end of the car and going off the track, and many drivers at that point would say, okay, the next run, I need to be tightened up, but they mm -hmm. don't do that in the 48. Yeah. He drives through it. He finds a way to be comfortable with that, to make the, the speed work for him being that loose, and when you look at what makes him so good at Dover, the same thing. He's amazing at being able to drive a car that's incredibly uncomfortable, that's incredibly on the edge, but do it for an extended period of time, which many drivers cannot do. That is what makes him so good. On top of, you add in the restarts, the ice in his veins, right. he does not seem to get flustered. He doesn't mm. let the things, the outside <laughs> come to him, and that's what makes him a seven-time champ. Rick Hendrick touched on it. You touched on it briefly. And I think if we went through the garage area, all the drivers would say Jimmy is a is a clean racer. So mm -hmm. talk about the way he's gone about getting to 83 wins. Yeah, I think that's the best thing. A lot of these races and times, he hasn't ruffled other people's feathers as much. And, you know, you, is that the right way? It's one way of doing it. But it certainly worked very, very well for Jimmy because what it's allowed him to do is in late race situations where people might be thinking, wow, do I have a payback here that I need to, that he might not have got? one or two or three of those wins. Well, he hasn't done that. So he hasn't been in that position. They race him hard, but they don't just take him out. So that's allowed him to do that. And he's been so good for this sport in so many ways. I mean, we have one driver in this sport of all time that's ever been the male athlete of the year by the Associated Press. That's Jimmy Johnson. And I don't think we make enough of that. The, the tremendous athlete he is and the tremendous person. He gives back uh, every community that he goes to, but especially his hometown of El Cajon. He's done so many good things there. So, you know, you know, good things happen to good people is what my dad told me a long time ago. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson is a perfect example of that. Marty, I was just asked this question earlier this week. Mm -hmm. What, you know, is he the greatest of all time? And I find that a funny question to be asked because mm -hmm. there's no doubt that he is definitely one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. And when, one thing that hit me, I was walking through the actual, the Hall of Fame here in Charlotte and yesterday and had some time to kill and got to go in there for the first time a couple of years. And I saw this uh, description of Dale Earnhardt. And it talked about how he was the everyman racer, the racer that people could relate to, that they found that he was just a normal guy that happened to go out there and drive race cars incredibly well. And that's what got him a huge fan base. And when I think to today's time, I think, who's that everyman driver? Who's that guy that's really successful, but seemingly could be the guy that you'd run into in the grocery store buying some fruit at any time, yeah. you know, with his kids? That's Jimmy Johnson. And I think it's funny that he doesn't get that same... Yeah thought process of being that every man relatable guy that seems to go out there and do something incredible as he's done and go and win seven championships. I think one of the coolest things about Dover Victory Lane was his reverence for the history. We touched yes. on it briefly yesterday, but th does that make it more palatable for, for you know, veterans of the sport to say, hey, he, he cares about the history of the sport yeah. and appreciates where he is? I think it says a lot about that uh, to, to Jimmy's uh, good side that, that he really keeps up with this, and he's very appreciative. It's not like he says, hey, I have 83 wins. Hey, I'm one of the greatest. He lets everybody else do the talking for him. He just goes out and does his job. But he's keeping up with what got these people that he is now passing on that all-time wins list. How did they get there? What did they do? You know, I have one of those hats, the uh, Hardy's orange hats. <laughs> orange I was fortunate yeah. to drive for Kelly Yarbrough at the end of his career. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand that. But uh, to, to pay the homage to those people uh, really says a lot about Jimmy and his personality. And I think for my generation, it kind of brings some of these, these old mm -hmm. history back into the fray. It brings some of it, you know, into the limelight. 
stuff that I didn't know about, stuff that, you know, maybe I just didn't get to learn or didn't see and wouldn't have focused on. And now as he breaks these records or ties these records and he brings it to light and does things like that helmet where he puts Kelly Arbor on an 83 Very wins, cool. you start to think, you know what? That That's crazy that he has that many wins, Kelly Arbor. And the, oh, man, he, he had three championships. They lined up together that, that way. You point. don't think yeah. about that. And he does that. He brings it back out, which is a really cool thing. All right, yeah. we gave you guys a homework assignment to bring in your favorite piece of memorabilia you have from back in the day. DJ, we'll have you show your, your favorite piece of memorabilia. Well, old this school. has to be one. Uh, it's actually when you win at the Brickyard, and I assume they still do it, but this is one of the original bricks from the track that they wow. give you with your name That's on awesome. it uh, and being a winner there. So, you know, my one of the greatest things to me was just to be able to race there, and yeah. then when they brought me this was just incredible. So uh, just one of those things. This is a hat. Yeah, it's a UPS hat. And there are a lot of those out there, but there's only one of this right here. I don't know if you can see there. There's a signature on there. And for a lot of the people that have been around a long time, that's the signature of Dale Earnhardt. And this was from 2001, my first race with UPS as a sponsor. We were in the motorhome lot at Daytona. Earnhardt and I were parked across from each other. Now, they brought his hospitality people to him. <laughs> I was going to my hospitality. Yeah. So I saw this little crowd that he had there. He was signing autographs and just standing there signing away. And so I walked over. I said, what's this? And so I took my hat off that I had, was on my head, this one, and I just handed it in there. He signed it, and then he was like, what the heck? And he looked up and realized it was me. So I had the only UPS hat ever signed by Dell Earnhardt. That's amazing. So that is cool. That is but amazing. We had a good story. 2001 Daytona That's 500. Incredible. Very cool. Uh, right, I, gave you an I don't have anything yours. that's cool, but if you want to see more artifacts like that, you can do what I did yesterday and go to the NASCAR uh, Hall of Fame. And this is my admission <laughs> ticket from the NASCAR Hall of Fame uh, that I thought was an incredible experience. Paid, yes, I paid. I went in. I actually met some fans that were surprised to see me there. And, hey, I'm a fan as well. I thought it was really cool to see some of the history. They had that incredible uh, petty exhibit right now. You can see the whole family history of the Petties. They must have given and you a raise on your allowance exactly. for you to be able to pay. I know. Yeah, I'll nice take it next time. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Help you you know, that we have Hall of Famers. That is true. That I know. I, I did it run into a couple night. pictures of himself. I, I would well. pay to go in there any day myself, I promise. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. We do so many yeah. events there. Certainly fun to go check out. Well, certainly when you talk about the greats of all time, you have to talk about Richard Petty and the 43 team. No doubt about it. He is at the top of the list. Now a young driver gets a chance of a lifetime in the 43. Next, we'll hear from Bubba Wallace about driving for the king. I knew the 43 when I was a kid. Some of the toys, you know, you see at the stores. I had the, the blue helmet that I wore around on my bicycle. He had this giant comic book, like this big, and I remember reading it over and over and over. When you mention the king, people might think Elvis Presley, but if you're an NASCAR fan, you know who they're talking about. They're talking about Richard Pitt. He could race on dirt. He could race on short tracks. Super speedways, he did it all. I'm a fan, and I'm a fan because of Richard Petty. 43, whenever I see it, it just instantly says Richard Petty. Well, since the King retired from driving at the end of the 1992 season, 10 different men have raced in the famous 43 car on Sunday. That list will grow by one more. Look at all those names on that list. Daryl Wallace Jr. will add his name to that list as he begins filling duty for Eric Almarola starting at Pocono this weekend. Here's what Bubba had to say about the opportunity to drive in one of racing's most iconic cars. You couldn't possibly be making your start in a, in a more iconic car. Uh, how cool does that feel to know that you're going to be out there in the 43 and racing that car uh, in, in the Cup Series? Yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. Um... You know, what's funny is uh, Blaney had texted me this morning, actually woke me up this morning, uh, talking about he wants a picture this weekend, and I was like, okay. He was like, yeah, we're driving the two most iconic cars in the sport this weekend, so we'll definitely have to capitalize on that. And that, that's huge, you know, that's, that's awesome for, for me to, to get my first start uh, driving the number 43 for Richard Petty and everybody at RPM. Um, and then the other side of it is, you know, the first African American since 2006, and uh, that's that's a lot of history behind it. And I've always said, you know, dealing with that is I like to I like to let the result speak for itself and let the results come in, and then let the history fall in behind that, and not focus on um, on 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 the big spotlights, the African American side of it, the iconic number. Let that all all kind of funnel in after we have our good runs and, and get out there on the racetrack and, and show everybody that we can do it.
Good stuff to see Bubba get the shot in the 43 car. DJ, what does he need to show in the race car while he has this time in the Cup Series? That that he has good head on his shoulder. We know that he can drive a race car. He's already proven that to us. So just be smart with this. It's not like that you're climbing into a car that has gone out and won a lot of races recently. You know, they obviously have been struggling somewhat. So get out and, and just show that you're there to help make the team better. And you can do that in a lot of ways. Not trying to take a car that's been running somewhere around 15th to 20th place and try to put that into the top 10 the first time at Pocono this weekend. Just be smart about what you're doing. You will gather everyone's attention and their respect by, by doing the right thing. And I think that Bubba's very, very capable of doing that. And, and you've been here before as a young driver. There is... You have that pressure because you want to prove yourself, right? You do. And actually, I think back to a couple of years ago when I was at Team Penske and I got the opportunity to drive the Xfinity car. And I went to the team and said, if we don't win, what is successful? And therefore, this is what I think a lot of teams should do, especially in this situation. And that is, they said, look at the average finish of the car. And if you beat the average finish of that car, then you're doing a good job. Well, when I look at this 43 car, its average running position this season is 20.9. Average finish a little bit lower than that. If he's there in the top 20, he is doing everything he needs to do. And that's just like you talked about, DJ. Not going over his head. Not trying too hard. Get solid finishes. Learn. That's what they want him to do. And go to the level of the race car. And if you do that, that's going to set him up for opportunities hopefully in the future because now once you've gotten in a cup car you're considered a cup series driver there you see some facts about bubba wallace and i want to ask dj isn't the racing world funny it always happens this way they announced earlier this week the xfinity series team going to go away after pocono this weekend and here he gets the best shot of his life yeah you just never know i mean this sport is very difficult and it's unfortunate that his xfinity ride went away had been having some good runs yeah. there so uh, but this it might be the opportunity he's looking for we never know as drivers exactly where that right moment is going to come you know it, it, you know in my case i had you know someone else get Getting injured in Neil Bonnet at Darlington that the Wood Brothers called me and gave me kind of a second chance to get back in the Cup Series. So you never know where that opportunity is. So I think this weekend's a tough weekend for Bubba on one side, but it also can be an outstanding weekend and opportunity for him down the road to, to prove that he belongs. I really believe that he's one of these drivers that may be a better Cup driver than even what we've seen in the truck huh. and the Xfinity side. We say, The seven-time champion didn't, didn't set a lot of things on fire <laughs> yeah. in the Xfinity side series yeah. and Tony Stewart was another that we didn't see that coming so it is possible to do that I just think that he needs a chance for a good period of time in good equipment to showcase that he really has the talents to do this it's funny you bring that up because that was gonna be my next point is I feel like he is gonna be better in a cup car the higher horsepower the lower downforce I just think knowing his driving style knowing what's made him successful and being able to win in the truck series that's gonna transfer over into the cup car a little bit better but you you brought up a great point which is for so many race car drivers even when you're in the the smaller levels you know, at the smaller levels, it might be that you're running out of funding and someone walks up to you and says, hey, this is your last race. Make it count. Yeah. Or as you move up the rank, it might be that you get that one big shot at the Cup Series. This is it. Here's your shot. Make it count. And as a race car driver, you just need to be prepared. You need to be ready for when these opportunities come about. And then, Bubba, when you look at what he's done in the Xfinity Series this year, you have to think he's ready for this. He's been waiting for this his whole life. This is the time. And he knows to strike. And so I think, as we said before, if he does a solid job, this will go bode well for the future. Wouldn't you argue? argue, though, that the way Petty has gone about this and said, hey, this is not a one-time deal. You're going to be in until Eric comes yeah. back. And that's going to be a month and a half, two months. I mean, he's going to have some time in the car. That certainly helps, right? Definitely. I mean, yeah. it, 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 there's no doubt that, you know, kind of having that consistency, especially in a fill-in situation, which can be tough when it's week-to-week, -week, where you don't really get to gel the team. You don't get to figure out what any sort of trends or understand what the car wants. And as a young driver, jumping in a new series, a new car, people that you haven't particularly raced against before, all those things line up. Now yeah. the most competitive series in the world. If you get to know that you're going to do it for at least a couple weeks, you have some time to really work on it and know that it's not, when you come down that late race restart, at Pocono, this isn't his one shot. He's going to have a couple more. Yeah, he's got some good tracks coming up that that, that allows him uh, to be able to relax a little bit more, if you will. I know it's going to be a, a stressful time because he feels like, okay, the Xfinity ride's not there. I need to really prove myself. But I think he's already done that. If he'll just be patient with what he does and let his talents take over. You know, he's here getting this opportunity, honestly, not because he's an Af African-American driver here, because he can drive a race car. He does it very well. And, and I think that 
that this could open up a lot of doors for him by being patient and showing what he can do. Because you go to Michigan, uh, Daytona, he's really good on the restrictor plate tracks. A lot of other tracks that, that he can really showcase those talents and be patient, help the race team. If he makes this race team better, then that's going to open a lot of eyes. Yeah, you mentioned the tracks. I think if they had just done this one week earlier, Dover being one of the favorite <laughs> yeah, race tracks yeah, there yeah, is, yeah, you'd be a little right. happier than Pocono. But hey, <laughs> yeah, right. as I said before, you're, you just got to be prepared for when the opportunity comes. Real quick, this is now the third driver from the Drive for Diversity program, Parker, and you, you kind of came up with all these guys. The significance of that, I know he said he wanted to downplay it, but the significance of that, that he'll now be the third driver from that program to make it to the Cup Series. Well, this is huge just for NASCAR, knowing that they set up this program a couple years ago and to start to see the fruits of their labors, to see these drivers that they feel have more diverse backgrounds to get into the Cup Series and help along. But I want to make a statement here is that those three drivers you see on the screen without the diversity program, would have found their way to the Cup Series because they're so talented. These are right. very talented race car drivers that happen to have that little bit of backing from the diversity program, but they are able to drive race cars. They're able to do it at a high level. As you see from Kyle Larson right now competing at such a high level, Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace is just another and a great line of talented drivers. By the way, on NASCAR, NASCAR America tomorrow, that guy over there, Dale Jarrett, going to have a sit-down with you. You got any questions really? ready, DJ, or what? No, he's nervous <laughs> to me. No. no, I love talking to him. We've had great conversations. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. That uh, that come up tomorrow on NASCAR America. Time now to continue our countdown to Daytona. 25 days away, fellas. And we are just around the corner from the Daytona race in July. We're going to go to the 25th running of the Firecracker 400, 1983. The late, great Buddy Baker gets the win that day. Driving for the Wood Brothers, he goes to victory lane for the 19th and final time in his Cup Series career. Casey Kane's last win was 2014 in Atlanta, but it has been a tough 2017 for the five car. But what did he do last night that made people wonder about his future in the sport and at Hendrick Motorsports? That's coming up next. Welcome back to NASCAR America. Today's poll question, we want you to get out your crystal ball and pick how many winless drivers so far in 2017 will win in the second part of the regular season. Nine drivers have won so far. Will we have three or less new winners in the next 13 races or four or more? Go to NBC NASCAR on NBC Twitter page or NBCSports.com slash NASCAR to vote to weigh in. One of those guys who does not have a win, Casey Kane, who sent out this tweet last night. I love racing, still have a ton of drive. All I want to do is perform and win again. I'm not done yet. So, kind of a random time to send that tweet out in the middle of the regular season, guys. What? I, we don't want to speculate about what could be behind that, but the timing of the tweet is a little bit strange. Like, what could have lit the fire midseason like this for Casey? Well, before that tweet, he had another tweet after the Dover race where he said it felt great to be competitive again and then end up getting in a wreck and end up, uh, I think, finishing 17th. So, it... I think it's a lot of things. It's the pressure mounting. It's the idea that this five car, and Casey Kane specifically, has been seemingly lost the last couple of years. And one of my favorite quotes is our coworker Kyle Petty, who said he's, he's on all the milk boxes because we're searching for Casey Kane. <laughs> it's been that way, and it's gotten to the point where everyone has to be asking the question, what is wrong here? Because this is one of the top organizations. You saw a young rookie in Chase Elliott come in and seemingly right away outperform him. This five car has just not been able to go to the, the level that we expect from this organization. And I think for Casey Kane, he has to be asking, what has changed? What right. changed from a couple years ago where he was one of the top contenders, the reason that Hendrick Motorsports wanted him, signed him to long-term contracts to say, we want this guy to drive our race cars because he's going to compete for championships. He's going to elevate our race team. And then you look at these stats, one win since 2014, or in 2014, only 11 top fives for an organization that we consider to be the absolute top. It just, it kind of boggles the mind at times, and you have to continually wonder. And for him, I think, you know, putting out on social media that, that quote there, and saying he's frustrated as well. He understands the pressure that's mounted. And yeah. you look there, DJ, in two years, he won four races, and it wasn't that long ago, and it's completely different now. Always been very talented, especially you get the mile-and-a-half, two-mile racetracks. I mean, he just performed at such a high level, and we came to expect that from him. When things started not being that for Case King, I think that sometimes, especially now, every driver goes through a phase like this at some point in time in your career. Now, maybe not Jimmy Johnson thinking, wondered what's wrong, and a few others I can think of, but pretty much every driver has some downtime, and you're wondering, you know, what am I doing wrong? You know, how can I help more at the race shop? But I think now it's even tougher as you 
have social media, and if you read that at all as a driver and you're not performing and things happening, then it would be easy to get really down on yourself. And so to, to make that comment, I think he's just letting people know, hey, I still have this. I want to do this. I'm trying as hard as I possibly can. But I do wonder what's happening. There has to be mounting pressure when you talk about that organization that he's at at Hendrick Motorsports right. uh, and things that are going on there. They have the most popular driver in the sport leaving. Is that going to take away sponsorship and things too? So you have to look at everything and be uh, aware that things could change there. You just don't know. That just adds more pressure to you. But I can assure you, the more pressure that you put on yourself as one of these drivers and, and start thinking that maybe I need to change the way that I go about this, then you're only putting yourself in a worse position. He's very talented, uh, but there's a chemistry that, that's not mixing right now. And just quickly, you know, to play the devil's advocate, the thing is, he could go out there and win a race here. Sure, yeah. but does that fix, could win Pocono, yeah. but does that fix the problem that this five cars had, which it just doesn't have consistent performance? If they were to get in the playoffs, I don't think anyone would be there behind them saying this is the car that's going to win the championship and that's what they expect from Hendrick Motorsports car. You mentioned the sponsorship front. They've already announced they've lost a couple sponsors on the five car for next year. Is he, is he running out of time to prove himself, you think, DJ? Uh, I mean, obviously Ed, with each race that goes by, then then that puts more pressure there and, and things could change because, you know, Hendrick Motorsports a big operation. takes a lot of dollars to make this happen. So not only are they losing, but is that 88 car going to be losing something that brings in uh, the most dollars of anyone over there? So if that starts cutting down, then that creates more problem just for the organization in itself. There, there's no doubt that this team, it's just, it's it's searching for something. There's a, there, The reason we kind of say they could go win is because there's the X factor of that no one understands why this race team isn't performing, right? Yeah. So they could go out there and, and the pressure's mounting, he's running out of time and suddenly get a win, but that might not even fix everything when you look at how for how long they've been unsuccessful and how long they've lacked performance. It just, I don't even know if that makes up for that lack of performance. Well, when NASCAR America returns, we'll focus on Kyle Larson, who certainly was willing to mix it up at Dover on Sunday, but was he maybe a little too aggressive? Some of his peers thought so. More on that next. For some reason, all these guys think that you shouldn't race each other really hard. I don't know. I thought we were here to race, so... Yeah, the thing is, we're not even racing hard. We're leaving a lane and a half. It's our fault that their isn't gripping underneath us, you know? Trying to kiss my ass up here now. He's complaining because he could pass us, so then he just moved us. So if we get the chance, we'll return the favor, and then we'll be even, I guess. But I said we're near the top two in points, and you guys are running up front first and second at the beginning of the race, and we leave that much room, and you race us like that. And I was playing your every opportunity ahead if you race us like that again. I go, but of course, Kyle doesn't think that way, and that's whatever he wants to think, but that's... That's not the way you race, I don't think, for the top guys, both in the race and in the point standing. Kind of messed up. Well, he kept pinching me down, and, you know, I was way faster than him. It was early in the race, and he kept pinching me down, pinching me down. I'm like, man, I'm going to end up wrecking him just because he's turning me sideways so bad. He was loose. He was hanging on. He was just holding me up, and, uh, you know, I felt like it was way too early in the race for that, and he's really putting himself in more jeopardy than anything because, you know, if I didn't catch it every one of those times, there was a good chance he was going in defense with me, so... Uh, it's probably pretty risky on his part to keep doing that, but, um, you know, we, we both made it through today. There's no, there's no uh, guarantees that we will next week if he keeps doing it. Ah, the tete-a-tete at Dover with Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson. It was a fun one to watch, no doubt about it. And, and Parker, this is a very interesting thing because fans accuse Kyle Larson of not being aggressive enough because he wouldn't move Matt Kenseth for the win. He won't move people for wins. But I think the drivers in the garage area think he's the most aggressive driver out there. Which one's the truth? Well, I agree with the drivers, and I don't think I agree with them in the same sense that they talk about him racing them really tough. And I, I think, uh, you know, as a driver, I've, we've all experienced this. You have drivers who squeeze you or run you really hard at points in the race where it just doesn't matter. You do, you're thinking, why are you doing this now? We're just we're going to end up in a wreck. And that's what Martin was frustrated with. But I would go one step further to say Kyle Larson's probably the most aggressive driver in how he drives his race car as well. If you look at him and the background he comes from in sprint cars and midget racing short features on dirt tracks you drive very hard every lap because it's such a short race and he brings that same mentality that same driving style to the cup series and normally in the cup series that's not exactly how it goes that is not exactly how you race 400 and 500 mile races but that's what makes him exciting he's exciting to watch because he's so aggressive about how he tries to find speed he moves his line around and in doing so he finds himself roughly 
feathers with some other drivers because he's making those aggressive moves and doing things that maybe at points in the race you would think, hey, you don't need to do that. But he's doing it because that's the way he thinks in races, Dale. You, oh. you look like you disagree with me. <laughs> no, I don't disagree. No, you make great points there. It's all great points. I just get amused at times uh, with race drivers. And I'm sure I was like this at times, too, and when things weren't exactly the way that I wanted them to be. But we can't fault Kyle Larson for driving his race car hard at any point in time. If that's the way that he chooses to race, then that's the way he chooses to race. You have to adapt to what he is doing then. Uh, Martin Truex could have just have just as easily have backed off a little bit. He didn't have to try to pass him then. Yeah, he was faster than him, but if he's not fast enough to make the pass and complete it, then I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. We can't fault Kyle Larson. Now, I have no problem with what Martin Truex did right here in getting Kyle Larson a little bit loose. If, if that's the way that you want to race, that's the way we're going to race. He didn't wreck him. Nothing happened there. They both went on to battle for the win at the end of the day. So it's just good, hard racing, and you're not going to make everybody happy. I love to watch Kyle Larson drive a race car, and I love to watch uh, Martin Truex, the way that he goes about things, too. And Kyle Larson has made a few people mad. There's a seven-time champion named Dale Earnhardt that made a lot of us mad <laughs> yes, along the did. way. So yes, uh, he did. didn't have any problem with that. But I, I think that you just have to understand who you're racing. Yeah, Larson, he might get himself in a position that early in a race, he may learn this the hard way at some point in time uh, by somebody moving him a little harder than that, that maybe you don't have to do that. But we can't fault him for driving that race car hard in that position. As I said, Martin could have backed off and just saved his car a little bit more till Kyle made a, a bigger mistake and easier to drive by. Dale, it's a race. Yeah, that's what you're that's supposed right. to do. You're supposed <laughs> yeah. to try and be the fastest exactly. there. You're supposed to try and lead the race. I don't care if the car behind you is faster. If you can hold yeah. him off yeah. and run in a different line, then that's the idea of the race. But I think the one thing the fans talk about with why they feel like he's not aggressive, maybe not moving people at the end of races things, is because knowing Kyle Larson, knowing, having raced against him, he's a very respectful racer as well. Yeah. He has a lot of respect for the other competitors on the track. He has a lot of respect for the other race teams, what they've done to try and get to that level, etc. And so I think it's he's an aggressive driver in the way he does drive. But he doesn't think in the way that some people think where he has that he's going to wreck you to win the races. He has more respect than doing that. Yeah, I don't, go, go ahead. I don't think he's going to change that. I hope he doesn't succumb, succumb to everybody talking about that and listening too much to other people telling him how he needs to drive at the end of a race because he's very, very good. But it's easy to go knock someone out of the way. It's difficult to pass. And I think that he gains a lot more respect by trying to make the passes in the right way. Well, now, Truex is not the only one to complain. I mean, just remember a couple of weeks ago, Jimmy, Johnson was complaining about how the 42 raced him. So, DJ, where is the balance between, you know, doing your job, like you guys were talking about, racing and earning respect on the track? Where's that balance? Well, you want that respect. And, and I think that Kyle Larson has a lot of respect out there. But quite honestly, you're not out there to make friends with anybody. You're out there to drive a race car and try to get the checker to the checkered flag first. That's all that makes any difference. We talk about drivers being selfish. You have to be one selfish SOB to win <laughs> these things. And yeah. If you're not going to be that, yeah. if you're not going to be that, then you're not going to be successful. So Kyle Larson doesn't need to change the way. If it makes other people uncomfortable, then they should figure out a way not to be around him. Figure out how to get in front of him by starting in front of him or something. Where's the line? Uh, it's the start-finish line that gets you over the line first in winning races and winning championships. That's the line that gains respect because at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do. We're here to win races and try yeah. to win championships. And there's got to be an element of a young driver running up front, and it's kind of new for other people, right? And they're like, why is he up here? Go away. I don't want you to up here this is our me. space. We've been yeah, here for years. Come on. Years. I'm telling him he's not going away. He's going to yeah, be around for a long I time. Think, I don't think Kyle Larson's going anywhere. Well, coming up next on NASCAR America, you'll get a two for Tuesday on our 50 states and 50 shows. Pennsylvania and Rhode Island share the spotlight. Plus, the Stanley Cup final moving back to Pittsburgh. What did Charles Barkley do at game four that stole the show? You don't want to miss it on NASCAR America next. We have a crazy guy here that you know pretty well, a guy that likes to do really weird things like chase alligators. This is your buddy, JR. Yeah, but you know the problem is I'm one of those people when I see JR, who's a really good friend of mine, I, I sent him a text the other night. I thought the catfish thing was amazing, <laughs> but I will say this. I'm one of those people. I want to see the alligator eat it one time. <laughs> 
You got to love Chuck, don't you? Oh, uh, hey, I was watching that last night. That oh, was hilarious. hilarious. Charles, yeah. part of our NHL coverage. And uh, I would imagine, I'd love to play golf with Charles Barkley and Jeremy Rowling. That'd be a phenomenal foursome, wouldn't Especially it? Especially if you run into yeah. alligators at times. And, well, I know. You know, you wrestle. tackle them on That's the golf course. That's the most interesting Why golf not? game I've ever heard of. I know. Uh, it would would be, you wrestle I, some alligators? I wouldn't. No. Uh-uh. No, no. <laughs> and, I, you, and you want Playing with Jeremy Roenick would be good because he's a good golfer. Watching Charles swing a golf club for 18 holes is yeah, not a lot of fun. I, I know, yeah. I know. All right, obviously the Stanley Cup rivalry heating up, and it continues tomorrow night between the Preds and the Penguins from Pittsburgh on Thursday night. Coverage of the game 5 begins at 6 Eastern with NHL Live here on NBCSN. Then switch over to NBC for the game. It's been four fantastic games. I get the feeling these guys don't like each other very much. That's coming up Thursday. You don't want to miss it. We're going to Pennsylvania a couple days early for this edition of My Home Track. The Keystone State is not only home to a couple of great sports towns in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, it's also home to McKeon County Raceway, the one-third of a mile dirt track as racing from April through September and is a stop on the World of Outlaws Late Model Tour. The season wraps up with the annual Fall Classic, and this July the track will host the Jason Dunham Memorial, named after Marine Corporal and Medal of Honor winner who was killed in action in Iraq back in 2004. Jason's dad, Daniel, raced at McKeon for nearly 20 years. Hey, we said earlier in the show that it's a two-for-Tuesday. We now head east from Pennsylvania to New England and the state of Rhode Island, the smallest state in the Union, hosted one of the first auto races to be held in the United States at Narragansett Park Speedway. And get this, guys, 1896. Eddie Rickenbacker, who would later become highly decorated in World War I as a pilot, also on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, won an IndyCar race at this track in 1915 in front of 50,000 fans. A century later, endurance racing legend and veteran Mike Hesleman has come to Rhode Island and designed the layout for R1 Indoor Karting in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Parker, this looks like it's right up your alley. One of the fastest indoor karting tracks in the country. All electric carts. They reach up to 40 miles an hour. Is this footage of you racing here, Parker? Yeah, this is me getting around here, apparently. But, uh, yeah, this place looks awesome. Electric carts are a lot of fun because they got a ton of torque. And uh, we'll have some onboard footage from the uh, bar area later. So. Yeah, they, they do have a restaurant and bar. You're passing a lot of people, Parker. I'm That's really good. Impressive. Yeah, I've never seen the place or knew I was there, but I'm doing really well. <laughs> You're doing really good going through this track. 40 miles an hour in an electric cart. That sounds like this, a lot of fun. This is pretty awesome. Maybe slightly dangerous, but yeah. a lot of fun. Well, you, you know, know what? The cool thing about these is that the electric carts also are really even. You don't get any of those discrepancies between the uh, gas ones, so you get really close races. I wanted to see if you won the race. You I got know. the third there. Well, sure you did. Did. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> did. Of course you did. Uh, tomorrow we'll head to the Palmetto State of South Carolina, home of course to Darlington Raceway and a couple of NASCAR legends, David Pearson and Kel Yarborough as well. Up next, Kevin Harvick has won all four of the majors in the NASCAR Cup Series. Yesterday he got to hang out with a major champion from the world of golf. We'll show you who in today's edition of the Social Pit Stop. Be there as another chapter in the Earnhardt legacy comes to a close. Dale Earnhardt Jr. takes to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time. Saturday, July 1st, only on NBC. Time to take our social pit stop, guys, and check out what's going on in the social media world. Hey, that's a nice sign for Dale Jr. DJ, you ever have a sign like that on the side of the road? I had signs, but they weren't good size, a good person. <laughs> randomly saying, Dale Jr., you're a good person. I agree uh, with him. Yeah, the, and I, well, I think we all agree with that. Kevin Harvick hanging out with Jimmy Walker. Fresh off his championship. How about that? Oh, wow. How about that? Get a PGA champion in there. Harvick likes Harvick. to play a little golf, too. I wonder if he's going to let Harvick have that trophy for like a day or probably so. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I wouldn't let him have it <laughs> no, either. So close. Bubba Wallace talking about the excitement for the 43 car. I think he missed the memo on the proper attire for a job interview there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's cool to see him next to that car. It looks good. Looks like it, it looks fast, at least, standing still. Bubba, dress up, brother. That, I wonder if that was his first time to RPM. It might have been. Might have been. Come on now. Just working out. That's yeah, yeah he went to the gym. That's yeah. what it was. Hey, if you haven't already done so, make sure you take part in our poll question today. How many winless drivers so far in 2017 will get a win in the second half of the regular season? Will it be three or less? Or four or more, cast your vote on Twitter or also on the internet, NBCSports.com slash NASCAR vote. Final results from that are coming up. Three or few are actually leading right now, guys. You know, guys, one of the cool stories of 2017 so far has been the parody on the track. I mean, nine different winners are taking the checkered flag this year. 
two of them have done so for the first time in their Cup Series careers. It's been fun so far in 2017. Several big names, though, are winless in 2017, but were in victory lane during the second half of last year's regular season. Among them, three veterans from Joe Gibbs Racing, as well as Kevin Harvick, who is currently third in the overall championship standings. And, of course, Chris Buescher with the fogged-out win in Pocono. Can't count that one out as well. Today's poll question, though, we pose to you guys, winless drivers. How many will we have in the second half of the regular season? Three or fewer, four or more. So you guys chimed in early on. You said four or more was going to be the vote, what and you no thought would be. Right now, and really. no one listened to you because no. there are three or fewer. Which is probably All smart, right. So let's lay it out. Who do you guys think will be of the winless so far? We'll get a win in the second half of the regular season. Okay. I'll start with Harvey. Go ahead. You uh, on Harvick? You ragged on him earlier for no, taking Harvick. No, I just said it was. <laughs> I, I have a list of 10 drivers yes. here. Do you want yeah. me to just Did go to this? Yes, go I, top 10. I didn't do a ranking, sure. but I just seemingly wrote down a list here. So I start yeah. 77, Eric Jones. Could possibly win a race. The 21 of Ryan Blaney. You have the 19 of Daniel Suarez in Joe Gibbs equipment. You have the four car of Kevin Harvick. You have the 11, Danny Hamlin. You have the 18 of Kyle Busch, the 24 of Chase Elliott. You've got the 20 of Matt Kenseth, and even the 47 of AJ sure. Allmendinger out yep. there with those road courses. There is 10 cars that could possibly win a race in these next 13. And did you have that? Dale Jr. in there? I didn't even have Dale Jr. Okay. Wow. There you yeah, go. That's another one for we sure, could and, and maybe get it turned around. But, yeah, I kind of put that that you have Ryan Blaney as kind of a maybe. I agree with a, a lot of other, you know, I think there's some givens there. The, the four, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch, I think, are certainly going to win. Matt Kenseth capable of winning anywhere. Uh, Chase Elliott, I agree. I still think he's going to win a race very, very soon. Almondinger has two road courses and runs well at Daytona, so there are multiple chances there. Uh, but also look at, at uh, Clint Boyer as a possibility there, too. So there's a lot that could happen in these next 13 that could shake things up. That's a good one, Clint Boyer. That's a really good one. You, you look at that team, the 14, you know how badly he wants to get into yeah. victory lane because it's been a drought for him having to drive that H. Scott Motorsports cars last year. He's been seemingly let out of jail this year to get in that 14 car and be able to run up front. And so I think that's a team that you definitely have to think is going to try to get yeah. victory lane with, at all costs. I wouldn't want to be the driver in front of him coming to the checkered flag Not a chance. <laughs> at no. the end. Still no. a couple seconds for you guys to vote. You mentioned Dale Earnhardt Jr. You left him off your list. I mean, is that team running well enough, you think, to get to where they need to get to victory lane? Not at most places, but but he's so good at Daytona that anything can happen there. He can get himself. I mean, you know, he leads the pack there. People follow him because he knows where he's going and how to get there and get to the front. When you have that kind of help, you can make things happen there. Other places, uh, no, they still have some work to do. And uh, I know Dale Jr. is working extremely hard. Greg Ives is to also to, to make that happen because they certainly want to get him at least one win in this last season. I really hope he gets to victory lane because on this very show about a month or two ago, I'm guaranteed that he'll get a win in the regular season. So I'm really hoping for my own credibility that he's able to get there and go and get that win. And I think he can as well. I, I think that team right now is finding some of the things that they're missing by using what the 48 is doing successfully. And we saw that at Charlotte. We saw a little bit of that at Dover. And I think it's helping that team improve. All right. You see three or fewer winds up winning today. Still so you guys, you guys were wrong. I just want to point that out, by the way. Keep, but, that, keep that around. We'll come back to yeah, We'll see. Right you around. might be right. You might be right. But amazing all the list of names that are on that list that have not won so far. Hey, that's it for NASCAR America today. We're back tomorrow, 5.30 Eastern. We turn our attention to Pocono. We'll see you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.